Shall we pray? Father God, I pray now that you would speak through my words. And would you please speak to our hearts. And I pray that today you would help us to sing for joy. Amen. Well, we are looking at Psalm 98. Psalm 98, it's uh, page 603 in the Church Bible. Psalm 98 commands us to shout for joy to the Lord. That's verses 4 and verse 6. Now that is odd. Because how can you command anyone to do anything with joy? It's one of those great unobeyable commands of the Bible. It's like the command to love or the command to be at peace. The reason it's unobeyable is because at least we think we have the chance of willing to be, for instance, obedient, of willing service, but you cannot, however hard you try, will love in yourself. You cannot, however hard you try, will peace in yourself. You cannot, however hard you try, will joy in yourself. Joy is bigger than us. We can induce temporary happiness. We can do that chemically. You know, what is, they, what is it that they say? Reality is an illusion created by lack of alcohol. <laughs> we can do things that we enjoy, but we cannot create joy. Joy is a gift. It comes to us from outside. We glimpse it in human events. Yes, in great sporting moments. Yes, that moment when Murray won Wimbledon and that shot hit the net. Yes, in the birth of a child. Yes, in the announcement of a long-awaited-for engagement or a great achievement. And we're given glimpses of a deeper kind of joy. Peter writes, though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There are moments when eternity touches our soul and we are filled with joy. But joy cannot be created. Joy, like love and like peace, is a gift. But oddly, it is a commanded gift. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament command us to rejoice. Well, I think Psalm 98 can help us with this slight issue, this problem. First of all, I think Psalm 98 gives us three reasons for joy. Firstly, joy because of God's salvation. Verses 1 and 3 here are all about God's salvation. It is a salvation that God has accomplished. His right hand, says verse 1, and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The psalmist is probably not thinking of a specific event. 
there were many acts of God's salvation that the Jewish people witnessed. In our first reading, we heard some of the song that was sung after the defeat of the Canaanites at the hands of Deborah. The people had been crushed. The oppression was awful. The sort of thing that, yes, that believers maybe not in Egypt but in Syria were facing. And suddenly, unexpectedly, deliverance had come. But equally, the Old Testament people could think of the Exodus when they were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out. Or of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when Jerusalem was surrounded by the forces of the Assyrians and the king Sennacherib, and it looked hopeless. And they mocked, and the Assyrians mocked the citizens of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah took the letter and laid it before God, and he prayed, and the prophet Isaiah came and said, you go out tomorrow morning, and you will see a marvellous deliverance that God does. Or we might think of the return from exile when they were slaves in Babylon and God brought them back. And I trust that as Christians we can look back at times when God has intervened in our own church story or our own life story, when he's rescued us, when we were out of our depth and God stepped in. But as Christians we do look back to a single saving event We look back to those 33 years in history when God rescued us from the power of sin and from death, when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a human being, lived among us, died on the cross for us, and rose again. And because of that one act, we are forgiven A new people have been created. We're set free from the power of sin. We don't need to be paralyzed by the fear of death. We can have intimacy with God now. And we do have an eternal destiny. It is what God alone has accomplished. It was all his work. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. When we were his enemies... God showed us his love for us in this. He sent his son to die for us so that we who were his enemies might become his friends. So we have grounds for rejoicing. Your salvation does not depend on you. It's not about how good you are or how religious you are or how sincere you are. If it depended on you, you would either be insufferably arrogant because you thought you deserved salvation, or you would be unbearably crushed, realising that you could never do enough. No, it's all about him and what he has done. We were like spiders in the bath. We could not escape, and our destiny was to be washed down the plug hole. But the divine, merciful hand reached down, scooped us up, and threw us out the window. (laughs) No, he didn't do that. And not only 
has God accomplished this? God has also, says the psalmist, he hasn't just done it, he's made it known as well. The Lord has made his salvation known, verse 2. And verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Do you know, we would not assume, we would never assume in our wildest moments that a man dying on the cross was the way that God intervened to save us. But because of the prophets of the Old Testament who taught about the cross, and because of the message of the New Testament writers who look back at the cross, we look at Jesus on the cross, and we recognise and realise that through his death, he has brought about God's amazing act of salvation. Jesus spoke about how that message, the story of his death and resurrection, the story of forgiveness and new life, would be taken to the ends of the earth by his messengers. That's you and me before he returns. But please note, this is also God's work. One of the things that strips people of joy is the feeling that we have the weight of the world, the weight of the gospel, the weight of the church, all on our shoulders. I love the story that's told of the person who was weighed down by her sense of obligation that she had to share the message of Jesus with other people. You know, they battered on about it at church. So she went to talk with a wise older Christian. And the wise older Christian told her that if she never told another person about the love of God... God would still love her. And she took that in deep. And she was sitting there talking to a friend who wasn't a Christian, but who knew that she was a Christian. And she said, do you know, she said, I thought I had to share with everybody about the love of God. But I actually felt that was such a weight. And so I went and talked to this person. And they told me that if I never told a person, another person about the love of God, God would still love me. Isn't that wonderful? Do you see what's happened? Secondly, another reason for joy is because of God's righteousness. The Lord, says verse 2, has revealed his righteousness to the nations. God's righteousness, his rightness. His right way of being. His right way of doing. In other words, his nature. It's revealed in his works of salvation. It's revealed in his deliverance. So as we, as Christians, look at the cross, we see his nature. We see his love. Verse 3, he has remembered his love. In the Old Testament, he demonstrated his love by choosing a slave people, a nobody's, to be a people in whom he delighted, for whom he had a destiny, and to whom he longed to be united. He says to them, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And we celebrate that love of God in choosing us, who were and who are nobodies. He chose us and he died for us. He delights in us. He has a destiny for us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And he longs that that same statement, I will be your God and you will be my people, that is also for us. 
And we see his faithfulness, that's also in verse 3, his faithfulness to his promises in the Bible, promises given to Abraham and Moses and David. And Jesus really is the fulfillment of all those promises. He's, Paul writes this, Paul says he is the yes, the gods are men to all those promises. He is the fulfillment of the justice of God and the mercy of God. Another psalm, Psalm 85, says that in Jesus, righteousness and peace kiss each other. And we see his nature, his kingship as well. God, says the psalmist, is king, verse 6. Jesus, says the New Testament, is the Messiah, God's king, reigning with God's authority. And we can rejoice because it is Jesus Christ who died for us who is the Son of God, who loves us, who is faithful to his word, who is the ultimate ruler of creation. So whatever happens in our lives, even when we find ourselves under extreme pressure, or even in the darkest, deepest pit, we know that nothing is outside his control or his ability to save And the third reason for joy is this. We we joy in anticipation of God's judgment. It might sound odd to say that, that we rejoice in his judgment, but the psalm speaks of how creation itself rejoices in anticipation of judgment. Let them, it's speaking about rivers and mountains, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Verse 9. I wonder whether you have ever thought of the sounds of creation as being a song to the creator, as being a song anticipating the divine judgment on earth. When you lie in bed in the morning and listen to the birds singing, when you're out walking and hear the wind blowing through the leaves, or the rain falling, or water bubbling in a brook, Or I have to say, even if you hear some of those awful sounds that we hear, maybe at night the scream of pain of an animal, hear it as a song. There are many kinds of song. There's a lament, a cry of longing, or a song of joy in anticipation of divine justice, when everything will be put right, made fair, and brought together in harmony. And we rejoice with creation in anticipation of judgment. Why? Because that judgment will be on the basis of God's righteousness. That's what it says here. On the basis of God's rightness, of God's character. So it will be a judgment based on love. On his desire that we who were his enemies might become his friends. No, might become his lovers be a judgment based on how we just simply, simply, simply have responded to that invitation. And it will be a judgment based on his faithfulness. Not our faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness to us. We'll be judged on our dependence on him who is utterly faithful. Whether we're living our lives trusting in his promises that because of Jesus we're forgiven. We do have the Holy Spirit. We are citizens of his kingdom. We do have an eternal hope. And his judgment will be based on our willingness to serve him, the one who is king. And one day this creation will be put right. That is why creation itself 
sings with joy. I said at the beginning that we're unable to will joy. It's a gift that comes to us from beyond. The New Testament speaks of love, joy and peace as fruits of the Holy Spirit. Qualities that grow in us as we walk with the Lord Jesus. But there is something that we can do to put us in the right place to receive joy. There is something that we can do and it's very, very simple. We can be obedient to the command to sing. Sing to the Lord a new song, verse 1. Burst into jubilant song with music. The rivers and mountains sing together for joy, verse 8. And there's a little bit of shouting for joy here as well, for those of us who maybe are more musically challenged. (laughs) Could I urge you to become people who sing, not just in church, but at home, As a society, we have really lost the art of singing. In the past, if you had a party, people might gather around the piano or gather around somewhere and sing, sing together. That very, very rarely happens in our parties now, although I guess karaoke may have made a bit of difference. Could I suggest, if you have parties and if you can make it work, get people singing, anything. Just sing for a start. Get people, ourselves singing. And certainly one of the things we don't do, or very few of us do, is sing on our own. I am talking about being in the bath with the door shut so nobody can hear, or being somewhere else where you can be completely open. But even then, we don't sing. But the command here is to sing. To sing a new song. This next line is really, really important. You may not have a voice, but if you are a Christian, you have a song. You may not have a voice, but if you're a Christian, you have a song. A new song. It is not just any old song, but it is the new song in which we sing of God and we sing of what God has done. I've been urging people uh, this year to put aside at least 15 minutes to read the Bible and to spend time with God. Could I suggest that as part of that, you might sing a hymn or a song? It's much easier now that we have iPods and Spotify or MP3s. You can join in to something else. For those of you who use Word Live, that brilliant, brilliant Bible reading resource from Scripture Union. All you need to do is Google Word Live. Um, You will know that there they offer a couple of songs for each day that you can join into. But don't just listen to the songs. Join in yourself. Buy a copy of a songbook. Become a people who sing, who sing of our God who saves, who is righteous and who will come in judgment. I've been trying to do it this week. (laughs) And I have to say, I think it does actually help. I feel rotten or tired. There's so much to do this week. I've had three big talks to produce. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. 
You certainly do not experience any joy. And then you start to sing to God. And you sing of God. And it does something. It touches us. Not just here, but here. So I simply finish where the psalmist starts. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. God gives. This was a great inspirational thought from Augustine, where he prayed, God give what you command. God gives what he commands. He commands us to love, and he gives love. He commands us to be at peace, and he gives peace. He commands us to have joy, and he gives joy. And for those who live in him, trusting him, obeying him, and that includes singing, it is part of your obedience and my obedience to him. In a be trust to that, he will give joy. Our Father God, thank you that you do give joy. Thank you that you give us joy, not in ourselves, but in you, in what you have done, and in what you will do. Amen.